How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm excited to present this episode with Sam. Uh, he's a fellow orchestra musician. He's got his own podcast. So we kind of dug into uh, what it is to be able to uh, have a career uh, in an orchestra and kind of what has been awesome about having podcasts and many other things. Uh, I actually got to do this one in person because I just uh, got back from a tour that I did um, to Cincinnati, to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and to Indianapolis. And so it was so great to be able to do one in person. Uh, and I hope that that kind of vibe is evident through our conversation. Before we get into this episode with Sam, though, I just want to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. As brass players, the mouthpieces we choose to use will have a huge impact on the sound our instrument produces, as well as determining how easy it is to produce that sound. Unfortunately, many of us find ourselves playing on mouthpieces that are ill-suited for our needs, and it's making things much harder than it needs to be. If you're interested in trying out a new mouthpiece, Houghton Horns is the place to go. Houghton Horns has a wide selection of mouthpieces to choose from, including Giddings, Greg Black, Pickett, and many more. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I'm excited to uh, be doing an in-person interview for the first time. I don't remember when the last in-person interview I did was. I started doing the Zoom ones because the pandemic hit, and it was really weird for me because I wanted to, I was like committed to all of these types of interviews would be in person, and that just wasn't feasible. So I'm here with Sam Rothstein. Sam, I was trying to remember, I know that you started here as bass clarinet and you've been acting principal. Are you fully acting or fully principal now? Was there an audition for that or? No, there hasn't been an audition yet. Um, I, yeah, so my tenured position is assistant principal and bass clarinet. Okay. And uh, for the last year or so, I've been acting principal clarinet because our principal clarinet is retired. So, right. um, so that yeah. was David, right? David yeah. Bellman. Yeah. David Bellman. He was, he was here when I was here. Great colleague. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so he he retired after, I think, he, I always say 40 years, but I think it's 39 years yeah. in the orchestra. And uh, yeah, so um, I'm likely going to be in the position for at least a couple seasons just because we don't have a music director right now and they're, they're kind of saving the position for uh, when the new music director gets here. Okay, so that's his position with the Indianapolis Symphony. And uh, then he has a podcast, The Candid Clarinetist. And we were talking last night, you do a little bit of streaming now. So, uh, and the content creation as well on YouTube and Instagram. So Sam and I have sort of delved or whatever, I guess, delved, dived, whatever, 
into some similar things. And so I hope to be able to kind of have a, a conversation about that and what we've learned from that and get his perspective on that. Uh, but clearly he's also been successful in our in the field of uh, performance and stuff. So I think he's just going to have a really great, well-rounded perspective. And I'm excited to be able to talk to you. So first of all, thanks for letting me into your house and giving me some of your time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, we'll start with where we normally start, just kind of going back into your past and seeing where you got into music, how you chose the clarinet, just following some of your education so we can get a sense of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so I started playing clarinet when I was 10 years old, fourth grade. Um, I started a year before they started instrumental, instrumental music in school. And uh, this is because, uh, I mean, the story always goes, my mom said that the only thing that I wanted for my 10th birthday was a clarinet and lessons. So I don't really remember that, but I believe her. <laughs> um, and so I started playing, I uh, started taking lessons. And the, the reason I started to get interested in music is my dad actually, um, his hobby is uh, he has a really like hi-fi stereo, um, and so he's 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 always listening to music. Like he doesn't watch TV; he sits down and listens to his stereo. And so we'd always, you know, he'd have a, he had a huge CD collection, and uh, one of my favorite CDs to listen to with him was the Benny Goodman Trio. Um, and so that's kind of how I gravitated towards the clarinet. Um, so yeah, so I started taking lessons, and and uh, you know I took lessons, private lessons, all throughout high school and middle school and everything. So I, I, I always kind of had this path. Sure, sure. And then um, I went to Northwestern University uh, where was where we met. Right, right. And... Um, you were gone though. My my first year, I'm pretty sure you were on the road with yeah. a musical, if I remember right. Yeah, so, so I was at Northwestern for three years. And then after my junior year, I was offered a job on a touring Broadway show yeah, uh, right. with Les Miserables. And so I did that for about a year, and then I came back and finished my degree. Um, and then uh, after that, I got into the Civic Orchestra in Chicago, and I was with Civic for a year, or excuse me, two years. And uh, while I was doing that, I was teaching a little bit. I was uh, subbing a lot with orchestras uh, around the area, Fort Wayne, um, Milwaukee Symphony, Illinois Symphony, just, you know, places pretty close to Chicago. And then my second year in Civic, I got a, I won my first position with the Richmond Symphony in Virginia. So I started there as bass clarinet. And then uh, after my first season in Richmond, our principal clarinetist, Ralph Schiano, won a job with the Detroit Symphony. And so he moved to Detroit. They offered me an acting position in second, which was a full-time thing. So I moved to Richmond for a year, um, and I played as uh, acting second clarinet and E-flat clarinet and assistant principal with the Richmond Symphony. And then during my year in Richmond, it was such a blur because there were so many auditions that year for me. Um, I took, I think, I think there were, let's see, I took St. Louis, Indianapolis, Seattle, and Pittsburgh that year. Wow. And two of those places I had to go back to play the finals. Mm -hmm. So I was like constantly on the road. Um, so, uh, yeah, so basically that that whole year in Richmond, I <laughs> it felt like I didn't even live there because I was just in the airport the whole time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so after that year, I was fortunate enough. Um, I, I won this audition in Indianapolis and uh, I've been here for six years now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very clear that even from just from early on that, I don't know if you feel this way, but 
responding to like the way your career came out that having an, sort of an orchestral leaning is uh, kind of how your career uh, unfolded. Do you feel that you had made that decision? You're like, I want to be an orchestral player or do you feel like it kind of, you just wanted to get better and it's sort of these kinds of opportunities worked out? Like, were you super obsessed with winning an orchestra job? Because that's certainly how I was. I played in a lot of musicals when I was there and that actually led me to my first like full-time job with the, the touring show, which was, you know, I was it was kind of like right place, right time sort of thing. Um, and I sort of always thought that I wanted to do that, like just play in shows and stuff. And um, basically after a year of doing it, I just kind of decided that it wasn't really for me. And, you know, it's, it's it, the monot it, it is monotonous because you're playing the same show over and over again. I mean, I played Les Mis 253 times. Yeah, like that's, yeah. you know, that's the same thing every night. And then the schedule was also like challenging for me, just the mentality of, uh, having to wait all day and then going to work at eight o'clock and not getting done until 11. And then like, you're all wired and you can't go to sleep yeah. until two o'clock. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I struggled with that a little bit. Um, and I think in retrospect, I kind of regret not enjoying it more because it was pretty ideal, right? It was, you know, I was 22 years old, single, no, I had, I didn't have any rent to pay. Like they they paid for the hotels and everything. Um, you know, I was making so much money, and they would also pay for all my equipment and stuff too. So they would pay for all my reads and all my repairs and like everything like that. Like it was it was a ridiculous wow. deal. Like you know, <laughs> and and I'm glad I did it. But I I wish I kind of embraced it a little more. I yeah. think I was just so I got so dark at one point that. I just like, I had a hard time mentally with it. It just felt like there was no end in sight, you know? Mm. But looking back on it, it was definitely a really interesting time in my life. And a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do that. You know, I, I went to almost 20 cities, I think. And so I got to see a lot of the country. It was my first time like going over the Rocky Mountains and, you know, living in all these cool places and figuring out like what I liked, what I didn't like. And so I think that, Looking back, I, I wish I would have embraced it a little more and just enjoyed the experience. But I was so, I just couldn't get out of my mind that I wanted to play in an orchestra. Like that was something that I always wanted to do. And it's obviously a huge risk because there's no guarantees. I mean, you and I both know, like there's no, yeah. you know, you go to an audition and a lot of, most of the time you go home. Uh, you don't, get a job and move to that city. And and what I've noticed too, and it's 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 a very harsh reality for me, is that it's not like sort of a straight line, right? No. It's not, well, I did well at this audition. And so now I've kind of figured it out and I'm going to be doing well at all auditions. I've said this many times before, but I've taken six-ish, maybe six or seven auditions since Alabama and haven't even gotten out of the prelims of any of those at yeah. auditions. And so obviously I've won two jobs and now I can't even get out of the prelims. It's very much not a straight line and it can be really frustrating from that kind of perspective. Yeah. And, and you know, I always say this is like, you always have to start back at the beginning and it's a really daunting thing. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, you make the finals in Pittsburgh and then all of a sudden you start back in the finals and you're in the final two or three. It's no, you start back at the beginning and it's not like you just start back at the beginning of the audition. You start back beginning at the preparation phase. Yeah. And so it's this huge like, OK, here we go again, you know, every t every single time yeah. with that. But it, you have that little morsel at the end that makes it 
tempting. <laughs> and so it's it's a very challenging thing and you have to have a lot of resolve to do it. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. The failures will have more weight than the successes. Yeah. Well, there will be so many more of them too, like you were saying, yeah. you know. And I think another... Uh, a friend of mine, Chris Smith, who plays in uh, San Diego, talks about too, like the money aspect is another part of it, right? Like, you know, unless you have some form of support, which some people are fortunate enough to do, I was fortunate enough to have support from my parents. Like, you're paying to go to all these auditions and hotels and things like that too. And so, yeah, it's 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 a it's totally worth it because you grow so much through the process, let alone the possibility of winning a job. But yeah, it's yeah. Until you get to that point where you recognize the value of the process, it can be a very frustrating and sort of demoralizing uh, thing to go through. Yeah, and and speaking of support, like my time with Lim is supported me through those auditions mm -hmm. because I I had no expenses, and so I just banked all this money, and then I was able to just spend it on going to auditions and stuff like that. So it's, um. I was kind of I I, I want to say I was pretty fortunate in that regard because not everyone has that. Yeah, and so it's it's tough. It's yeah, tough. I kind of want to focus on one thing that you said about you know I sort of wish looking back that I would have appreciated the opportunity or sort of just you know gone about it differently. Does that affect your perspective now? Do you try to see life a little differently through those um, through those things? And so maybe there's things happening in your life right now that are less than optimal, but you have a slightly different perspective than you might because you went through Les Mis and kind of learned that lesson. Do you feel like that that's true? Yeah, always. I mean, it's, you know, the pandemic has been tough, like uh, for orchestral musicians. I mean, you know, my orchestra, like we've been on unemployment or minimal stipend for a while, but there's also a lot of people that have gotten nothing sure, throughout sure. this. And so I, you know, if anything, I'm definitely grateful for my situation. And I'm also very blessed to have a, an amazing partner in life. And she's been incredibly supportive this whole time, basically since we've been together. I mean, it is not an easy task being married to a musician. It is it, it, not at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and in your situation, you're both we're both, right, we're both, yeah. both musicians. So you, there's a little more understanding, but it's, you know, she's like, wait a minute, you're, you're auditioning for Boston and then I'm going to have to quit my job and we're going to move to Boston and what's going to happen? Like what? It, it's a very tough thing and and I don't know what it's like on the other side of it and it's amazing to have someone that's so supportive of like everything that I do and so yeah absolutely like I'm 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 trying to take it you know in I'm trying to take everything in stride now and for me what I always say is and I'm very lucky I'm, I'm incredibly lucky uh, and it's not because I didn't earn it but I'm just I just feel grateful for for the opportunities that I've had but I remember I so when I was, I think right when we got together, my wife and I, I got a, six months later, I got a call to sub with the Chicago Symphony. And that's something I always wanted to do. That was literally the last thing on my bucket list was like, okay, I want to get a full-time job in an orchestra. And then I want to sub in Chicago. I want to play with the Chicago Symphony. And I did all of those things. I did, I literally accomplished everything that I wanted to on my instrument by the time I was 30 years old. Yeah. And so quite literally everything that happens from here on out is just gravy. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> you know, like I really have nothing else to prove. I think for so long, I just wanted to prove to other people that like I was good enough and I could do it. Yeah. Because there were enough people in my life that told me I wasn't good enough and it was stupid and I was wasting my time and yada, yada, yada. It was never my parents, which I was also very fortunate with, but 
there were other people along the way, even like prominent clarinet teachers that told me that. Wow. Um, and I just, I always had this kind of chip on my shoulders, like, you know what? That's not true. Like I can do it and I can do it because I, I can work hard and do it. And so when I teach and when I do stuff like that, I, I always use myself as an example. Like if I could do this, anybody can do it. Sure, Cause sure. I wasn't like, a prodigy. I wasn't oozing with talent. I didn't have perfect pitch. I didn't, you know, it's not, playing clarinet's not an easy thing for me. I have to work really hard at it. And so it's a, it's a testament to uh, work ethic and drive and just a relentless desire to um, succeed. Sure. Um, well, and one of the reasons I asked the question about perspective too is you being in an orchestra, you know the realities of what it, what it is to be in an orchestra, that it is a job, you know? Yep. Sometimes I think, at least I was this way, so I imagine other people might also feel this way, that when you imagine what it's like to have a job, you're imagining that it's gonna be this amazing thing where everybody loves music, and that is true, but there's also this sort of job aspect of it. And that's kind of why I asked the perspective question is, you kind of got that lesson much earlier than most of us do, you know? Yeah. So then coming into a job like this, you weren't, you were sort of aware of that reality of that it can feel like a grind and sometimes you're just waiting for concerts. And, but at the same time, you have this, what sounds like this level of appreciation for it because you weren't expecting it to be something that it's not. And I think that that's something I would like to be more open about is mm -hmm. not saying you shouldn't want to pursue uh, um, orchestral career by any means. It's just trying to be aware of what the reality of it is so that you can make a decision from understanding what a job or what a life in music is. And sometimes it's very job-like. And then you can say, well, even in the face of it being job-like, I still want to be thankful for the opportunities. And I think that creates a more resilient sort of nature about what we do. Yeah, it's, you know, it, there is, it is work. Like, it is a job. And, uh, you know, when you're a student and you go to a Chicago Symphony concert and you're like, wow, man, maybe someday that's me. What a, what a, but you have to remember that all those musicians were in rehearsals for eight hours that week and they, this is their third concert of the week and they have to travel to and from Symphony Center. Like, there are a lot of things that you don't, and that's not to say there aren't moments of like complete gratitude and ecstasy and just amazing. You just, it, it, it's incredible sometimes what happens and you never know when it's going to happen, but it doesn't always happen, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, I, I think you're right. I did learn that early on. Um, and I, you know, I, I'll always be fortunate. I've had a number of incredible mentors along the way in the form of colleagues um, there's a there's a bass trombone player. Uh, his name is Jim Gray. He was our trombone player on Les Mis, and that guy. I mean, he just completely took me under his wing and was just like, okay, you know, he really had a deep deep perspective on what it was like to be a working musician, and uh, I learned a lot from him. And same thing when I got into orchestras, I always had like an older colleague that you know. They're like, Sam, you, you can't beat yourself up over every single thing. Like, this is a 30, 40, 45-year career. Like, if you beat yourself up over, like, little things here and there, you're, you're just going to lose steam and burn out completely. So, I'm still learning, and but I'm also very grateful that 
I've had people to kind of like put things in perspective. And now it, it's also given me the opportunity to be that for other people. Totally. Which is totally. great. Yeah. And I think that's, I totally agree. You know, I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way, you know, and that's part of what I hope that this platform can be is just sharing these ideas that, again, I think it's a very wonderful thing. And, it's, and especially if you love it, you know, I mean, there's, I don't know if I got into an orchestral career because I absolutely loved classical music. I think I enjoyed playing with people and I enjoyed that feeling maybe more than I enjoyed playing a solo or something like that. But, you know, adding that next layer of you really truly love classical music, like we, we need people like that who believe in what this career path is, if it's going to have any chance to, I don't want to say survive, but flourish, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think being able to understand the reality of the job and then make that decision that you're going to be as thankful as you can and try to pass on what you know, I think is a, is a really, is a really cool outcome yeah. of some of the struggle. I think that I, I know that I've had, and it sounds like you've gone through as well. Anyway, can we talk a little bit about your audition process? It sounds like you've had a pretty sure. good amount of success. So I'm just curious, uh, I'll just kind of leave it open-ended to see where you want to start, but we could certainly talk about just the structure and the organization of how you attack the excerpts themselves to be ready. We could also talk about mindset, how you get yourself in a place to be able to focus on what you're doing and be able to sort of have access to your best playing in the actual audition. I think these are some things that people often struggle with, myself included. So just leave it open-ended, see what you start with. Sure. So um, when I came back from Les Mis and I really committed myself to uh, playing in an orchestra. I knew that I needed to talk to people that were successful in auditions because obviously you need to win an audition to get a job in an orchestra. And so actually you were one of the people that I went to because you had just won in Indianapolis and there were some other people at Northwestern that I that I trusted and 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 Everyone had a different method. It's completely different. But the one thing in common was that everyone was incredibly organized with the practicing and preparation. And so that was the big takeaway for me. I was like, Did okay. I tell you I was incredibly organized too? Because I feel <laughs> you, like that's something I really I don't struggle know if you, with. I don't know if you told me that you were incredibly organized, <laughs> but you told me like how you did it. Okay. And, <laughs> I and feel like that's something I struggle with a lot. No, you, you told know? me how you did it and it struck me as very organized. Oh, okay. Um, and so... I was like, okay, I just need to like, it doesn't matter really what the process is as long as I know what I'm doing. Otherwise, it's just, it becomes this endless Sisyphusian kind of thing where it's just like, you could put, you know, Beethoven 6 in front of you and practice it, quote unquote, for four hours and just try to get it, quote unquote, better. But like, you need these tangible goals along the way. Otherwise, it's just endless kind of like spinning your wheels almost. So um, so anyways, I sort of slowly have developed this method and it's evolved uh, as I've gone through more auditions and I figured out what was working, what was not working. And uh, I have been lucky enough to have long sustained success with auditions. Um, I think I've I tried to make a chart a couple months ago about my auditions and like the results and stuff. And I think I've, I've taken around 20 auditions and I've been in the finals for over half of them. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And I've won two of them. I was runner up in another one. So, so like I found this way, I was like, okay, I know what works. I know this works for me. And so, um, 
you know, the biggest thing for me is when I plan out my auditions, I plan it out literally every day. I know exactly what I'm practicing and how I'm practicing it. And so I know attacking that day, okay, I need to do this, 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 this. And once I do that, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. And then I pick it up the next day and I need to do this, 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 and then I'm done. And so it's, 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 a, it's a really powerful thing when you can just say, I did what I needed to do today, I'm done. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and so and so I, you know, I it, obviously it's changed and it's it continues to change because before, you know, when I was in school, I had nothing to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, like classes, like you know, w- when you get in the upper class of graduate school or or you know, if you're junior senior in college, like you don't really have that many like academic classes. It's mostly just like lessons and stuff. So I just practiced all the time, and so I had all this time to just practice for auditions and prepare and stuff. Obviously now, like I'm in rehearsals four and a half hours a day. I don't have that time. And I also, you know, I'm playing principal clarinet. Like I need to be ready. Of course. So like the, um, when I took Dallas, which was three years, this is Dallas based clarinet. I took it, I think it was three years ago, something like that, two or three years ago. And, uh, you know, I was playing acting principal clarinet. And the week before the audition, we had to play, I had to play Dances of Kalanta, which is like this huge clarinet piece. And so like, Obviously, like my normal audition preparation had to change because I had to play principal clarinet. And I think the week after I was playing Brahms three, which is another like huge clarinet thing. So like I couldn't prepare the way that I would have prepared in school. Yeah. But um, I was able to kind of shift and knowing what I what I um, have has have experienced in the past with the audition preparation, I was like, okay, I don't need to do this because I'm already kind of getting that at work so I can do this instead and take a little bit more time off here and do this and reorganize it. So I still knew what I was doing every day, but I didn't have to put so much time into it. Sure. I just I just got more and more efficient at it. And so, um, you know, I, I took Dallas and, and uh, I left the Sunday after our concert and got to Dallas audition Monday and I was runner up. And then I flew back the next day or, and I had, I think my flight got delayed. I got home at like two thirty in the morning, and then I had to go to rehearsal at ten. So yeah, it was, yeah. you know, it's it's a different thing when you're playing a job and trying to take these auditions and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's it's it it's definitely a process that I've cultivated over the years. I've taught it to people, um, and those people have found success with it as well. So I know it works not just for me, but for other people. And uh, so. You know, it's it's something that if anyone's interested in, I'm I'm happy to share, uh, sort of what my process is and and how you know and what works for me and and it's not a prescriptive thing necessarily. Uh, you can take certain elements from it and do whatever works for you. Yeah. I mean, I might ask some specific questions, you know, like, I mean, I don't think we need to dive into the whole entire process here because I'm sure part of what you do when you help others is certainly responding to them and they're like, it's hard to give a prescriptive customized thing. One of the things I want to focus on that I think I really, really believe in, it's so cool to hear you say this because I just totally believe in the value of it is you described your process as something that you've been sort of refining and tweaking and changing, seeing what works, what doesn't work, but it's all been hypothetically one process that's getting better rather than feeling like, well, it didn't work once, so I'm just gonna start completely over and start, you know what I mean? You've been gradually saying, I auditioned, I have this process, I auditioned, here's the result, now how would I change things to get a better result? So we're essentially 
building, you're building a system and anybody can do this, but you sort of have to see the result. Like you have to be able to say, I'm going to commit to something and then allow the result to possibly not be what I want so that I can learn how to continue to get better. And I think that's so, so, so important, but so hard to do because oh, yeah. we want to control the outcome and we just want to like sort of go crazy and focus on the result of it rather than the process that we can continue to refine. So do you feel like you struggled with with that at all? Or did you, you were just so invested in the process and building the process that it was like, I'm just on the right track? Because for me, it's been very hard to like let go of the result and caring about the result and really value the process building. Yeah. So, uh, again, I was kind of fortunate early on. I mean, I took some auditions when I was a junior. This is before I went on limas and like, you know, it was classic, like did everything wrong, like didn't prepare correctly and whatnot. Not to say I like played or performed poorly, but I just wasn't ready at that point, you know? And so, um, you know, when I came back to Northwestern and I really committed myself to a process, I was really, I don't say I was lucky because I earned it, but like the first audition I took, it was Washington National Opera uh, bass clarinet and I made the finals and I was like over the moon about it. Like, you know, I'm a senior in college. Like I left this great job that was still going on making so much money. And like, I was like, wow, I did, I'm doing the right thing. I got rewarded for. And so then like, I was really able to dig in to the process and be like, okay, that worked. How can I make it a little better next time? And I and I just started to see this sustained success with the auditions. I see. Um, and so yeah, I, I kind of did get rewarded early on. Yeah. But there's also um, I can't I can't remember who said this, but you know, this in science in the scientific community, most experiments fail, um, and when they fail, you learn something. So you either, so, and it's the same thing with auditions. You either win the job or you learn something. Yep. And every single time I've done it and I haven't won, and even when I have won, I've learned something and I've learned and maybe a little tweak here and there. Okay, maybe I can do this just a little bit better next time. And so, yeah, you really have to commit to the process of it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I hope that it's clear to the people who digest my content that I, com I just completely agree and I'm trying to, dive into like building processes, you know, building programs, like what working out and stuff like that, you yeah. know, like building programs that people can say like, I'm going to invest my, it's almost as if I really think it's, it's more valuable instead of saying, I'm going to trust myself and believe in myself that I can do this. I think it's much more valuable to say, I trust this process that I know that works. I believe that this process will work so that you're, can, it's like this, outward external thing that you're tweaking and focusing rather than focusing on well if i trust myself and i believe in myself and it doesn't work out like you're left with well i guess i'm not good enough or something well the other way is you're saying well maybe my process isn't good enough but you're like detached from it and you just keep saying well i'll just keep trying to improve it and i think it's i think it's a more valuable mindset to be in in general but i think it also leads to the eventual winning of a job right because yeah. If you just keep learning, you'll eventually find, you'll eventually hit, you know? I think so, at least. Maybe that's not a guarantee, but I think it's your best chance. Yeah, and it's not to say, like, the process always works. Like, sometimes yeah. you just have a rough day. Sure. You know, like, you just have a rough day. Like, whatever is going on or the circumstances or maybe, you know, like, the last audition I took was Boston, which is a, it was bass clarinet in Boston. 
And um, it was interesting because I had to go there and do the prelims and then I had to fly back. And then two weeks later, I had to go and do the finals and, uh, or excuse me, the semifinals and the finals. So I only did one round and then I had to come back and do two rounds. And so I flew back and, you know, this is a job that I had been eyeing for eight years. Like I knew it was going to happen eventually. And I was so excited about it. I'd been to Tanglewood three times and I was just like, that was like my dream. Right. I, yeah. I, and, and I like all I could think about is like, oh my gosh, I get to teach at Tanglewood. I get to live in Boston. Like it was just amazing. And so I went back and I played the semis and I was like, yeah, it went pretty well. And, and like right away they came out. I was like, okay, we want to hear you again. Perfect. Like I'm super excited. Like Andres Nelson is going to be listening to me in the finals. Like I'm so excited. Like I know some of the guys, like I know some of the players, like I'm so excited to just play for them again. And I don't know what it was, but we, you know, we drew numbers. I think I was number four out of five. And so I had to sit there and wait for like two hours, two and a half hours. It was some huge amount of time. And, and I just had to sit there and wait and think about it and sit there and wait. And I just got on stage and I just, just shit the bed. Like it was embarrassed. Like I was embarrassed with how I performed wow, and yeah. that had never happened to me before. Like, but I think it was just like that pressure of like, I was so excited about it. And like, and I was just really disappointed with how I performed. Like, all I wanted to do was just pack up my stuff and like leave the stage after like five minutes. I was like, <laughs> I just couldn't, like nothing was happening the way I wanted it to yeah, happen. And yeah. it just like kind of snowballed. And so that was interesting to me because I think I just need to, it told me that I needed to do a better job of releasing the results, you know, because I just needed to focus more on just presenting my best self rather than like, man, maybe I'll be in the Boston Symphony. Absolutely. Which I, I don't know if that's what caught up to me. I, you know, I was having some equipment issues, like literally everything was going wrong. Like <laughs> yeah. I just, it just wasn't very good. And, um, you know, I, and then like immediately after, like I called one of the, uh, one of the mentors, teachers, and he was on the committee and, and I was like, Hey man, like, I'm really sorry. Like, he's, <laughs> You know, I mean, fortunately, they were behind the screen, so they couldn't see me. But, you know, he was like, okay, you were number four. I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, it, it wasn't really that bad. It was just like, it was just kind of out of tune. And and I was like, yeah, I know it was. But it, it was interesting to hear from him. Like, they didn't, like, hear it as some disaster like I did. Right. So so that, to me, was very revealing. But, you know, like, the first thing I had to play was was with piano. was just, like, horribly out of tune. And I couldn't adjust. I, like, couldn't do anything. And so I was just like, after that happened, it was just done. And so... um yeah, but it was interesting hearing his perspective on it too. And when I got comments back, it was the same thing. They were just like, you know, everyone said it was out of tune. And, um, you know, but the rest of this stuff, they were like, oh yeah, it sounds good. It sounds fine. So it's interesting like getting that perspective. And I think I just, I put too much stock into like, man, that was bad rather than like, maybe I just need to try to do a little better and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're talking about with thinking about the job or whatever. I mean, that's, I think that's been one of my biggest struggles is it's so hard for me to disassociate with what thing, what would happen yeah. if I won the job. You know, I remember my most recent audition was Chicago principal and 
I was, I, I had done, this is the first time I had done my own kind of preparation and really structured all that kind of stuff. You know, the very first time that I feel like everything was like logical, it made sense. And I felt very prepared. I felt great, great, ready to go. I was running rounds. Everything was good. And then I got to the audition. Same thing. I had to wait for about an hour and a half or so. I'm sitting in the room by myself, just like breathing, you know, buzzing the mouthpiece a little bit, just trying to stay. And and it basically, the it was like an hour of just saying like, <sighs> Yep. And then in my head, it would be like, but if you won this job, you'd be, everything would be awesome. And then I'd be like, it's okay. It's okay. And then in my head, it would be like, but could you imagine what would happen if you won this job? You know what I mean? And you're like fighting that off for like an hour. Yeah. And then you get into the audition and you finally have a chance. I feel like I played pretty well. I got decently into the round and stuff like that, but it's just like so mentally exhausting. Yeah. And I that's I mean, I don't know if I've even found a solution for myself for how to release that result in a way that I it actually happens, you know? So I'm always curious to hear what other people say because, you know, sometimes people will just say, like, well, don't care about it. But like that's not an answer no. for me. I think it's yeah, it, it and the the best auditions I've had is when I just like I really don't care, you know. Like another example, and I I don't mean to be like spitting my resume here. That's not. That's I'm just <laughs> that's trying to give examples of like of things that happen. No problem. So uh, when I was in Richmond, like I had just I just won Indianapolis. Like I'd, they'd offered me a trial. Three days later, I went to Pittsburgh and I played the prelims and the semi. And I was just like, whatever. Like I don't. You know, I didn't even want to go at that point because I had already gotten the Indianapolis trial and I was like, cool. And I made the finals in Pittsburgh. It was great. And uh, a week after that, I had to go play my trial in Indianapolis. They offered me the job. Perfect. And then two weeks later, I had to go play the finals in Pittsburgh. And it went amazing, you know, because I just didn't care at that yeah, point. I yeah. had no, there was no more, there was nothing more for me to lose. And same thing like in Dallas, it was a one day audition. So I didn't even have time to think about it. I literally like woke up you know, I got into Dallas at like 10 o'clock, went to sleep, woke up, had to play the audition all day. So I didn't have any time to yeah. think. And so I'm trying to figure out what is the best way mentally for me when I have that kind of separation, like how can I compartmentalize it where it's just like, I don't care and I can just do it because I have to do it yeah. at that point in time. One thing I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm going to try it out. I don't know. I need to actually take another audition to see if this works. But I've been reading some books on peak performance. And I think what I'm trying to implement into my practice right now as sort of a, I want this to be the way I do it, is I'm actually trying to give myself like really specific things to think that are really simple. So for me, it's going to be some like air forward, right? I've been like harping on myself over and over and over because I'm starting to wonder, I don't have proof for this yet, but I'm starting to wonder if the problem is, is that I was a player that would play my best when I'm not thinking. But when I get to the audition and I can't stop thinking about this other thing, like that's a problem, you know, because I'm used to just not thinking. So I've been interested in trying to specifically implement purposeful things to think so that I can possibly course correct when I start thinking about those other things. It's like, well, that thought's there, but I'm also going to introduce the thought of air forward, right? To sort of reorient myself. I have no proof for this, right? Because I need to take an audition to really be able to test if it works. But I, that's sort of a, and it's kind of what you're talking about, trying to refine the plan. Well, the plan for me has often been structural, but I just understand now that we have to include mental aspects of how we're going to think when we get there and how we're going to frame and get perspective, just like you just said, so that we can step away and disassociate ourselves in whatever way you can from the results. So you actually 
can play your your best. So that's part of the preparation process for sure too to me. Yeah, and I think one of the best things that I that you can do and and what I do is it's basically my process is I try to train my body um to know how I'm going to respond in stressful situations. And one of the and I'm excited now to take auditions because one of the best things having my podcast and posting all this content online has done for me is I'm a much more outgoing person and I care very, very little about what other people think about me. Mm. And that wasn't the case before. I was very particular about, okay, if I'm going to post my playing, it needs to be perfect. It needs to be this, this. I don't do that anymore. I do like one take, boom, goes on Instagram. Yeah. And and so just like having that attitude of like, not giving a shit. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know if I can swear. Okay. It's all good. (laughs) Having that attitude of like not caring and just like, you know, whatever, if someone doesn't like me, you know, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. And I'm excited now just just putting myself in all these different situations that I've never put myself in before. How is that going to translate? I mean, I think when we, we, we did some concerts in the spring and I think it's some of the best playing I've ever done in my life because I just, I mentally now, I just don't care that much about what other people think about me. Yeah. And so, and it took me doing a podcast and it took me, having people watch me play all the time and having that ability to pass judgment on me for me to not care. Yeah. I, I kind of want to introduce an interesting as- perspective on this because I totally agree and I've spent a lot of my time not caring, but I feel almost as like a defense mechanism against really trying as hard as I could, right? Because I was like, I'm not going to try as hard as I can. So I don't really care what people think. And so as I have tried, as I've sort of dived into trying harder, I start to feel that more than I ever have before. And then, yeah, it's you're right. And then you're like dealing with that. And then it's like, finally, I can actually deal with like, what do I value in my playing so that when I put something out there, I can just be okay with it instead of the other ways. If I don't know what I'm trying to value in my playing, I think you're just letting everybody else dictate what is valuable to them. And then you're saying, well, that must be what's valuable. So me knowing, you know what, if it's not perfect, but I'm musically committed, or maybe I want it to be perfect, you know, I'm saying like, you get to determine what the value is. But I think until I really, really tried hard to be the very best I could be, um, and not just like to win an audition, but to be the best I could be, thoughts of like, well, if I put this out there, and it's not perfect, are people going to think I'm a fraud? Right. But then I was like, well, maybe. But right. am, but then I was like, well, maybe. But am I happy with it? Am I proud of that? And if maybe the answer is no, then do another take, you know? And if the answer is right. yes, but yeah, I finally feel like I've dealt with some of that stuff. Yeah, it's it's tough because there's always that imposter syndrome going on. Um, but one thing I've realized, and it took my wife telling me this for like three years straight, is that nobody in the world will be tougher on me than myself. And it's not even close because everyone's worried about their own shit. And that's the that's the real big secret is everyone is concerned about their own stuff. They don't have time to care about what you're doing. And if they do have time to care about it, then they don't have enough problems in their life. Sure. You know, or at least they're not addressing the problems. Yeah, that's probably life. more likely. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, you know, if people want to say, oh, he made a YouTube video and his playing's, you know, I mean, I get comments all the time on my YouTube video, people criticizing my playing. And I'm sitting here like, 
I am literally the acting principal clarinet of a major American orchestra, and and you know Joe Schmo is telling me that I need to use more air. It's like, like what you know, like how like that doesn't affect me, you know, like yeah. what? It, why would I care? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like I have nothing. Like that is not something. It's like okay, great. Like you know, like what did they gain by telling me that? Yeah, you know, so totally, totally. Yeah. Well, you just spoke about the podcast and how the content creation has helped you with that. So maybe this is a good time to transition into uh, into that conversation. Um, I'm just curious because I don't even know if I know this story. Um, it could be pandemic related, but oh, just is, yeah. <laughs> uh, how did the podcast come about? What inspired you to make it? Was there sort of, for me, there was an event listening to a particular podcast episode I just really connected with the guests and I was like, that's really cool. I'm really interested in that. Also, the long form of it really interested me where you wouldn't have to package the material in a really quick and concise way, but rather you could just have a conversation and see. And so for me, there's definitely some inspiration. And I'm just curious for you what that kind of inspiration would have been to put in the work to figure out how to do all this stuff. Yeah, so the the main catalyst was obviously the pandemic. Um, I didn't see... It was, I mean, the opening stages of the pandemic was tough because nobody really knew how long this was going to last, whatever. And I was kind of just sitting around not doing it. I was feeling sorry for myself, basically. It's like I couldn't do my job. And I'd never had that before. And so I was like, okay, what can I do that is maybe something new for me that I would enjoy? And also maybe something that other people would enjoy and maybe something that doesn't exist. And so I did a little bit of research and I had a friend, I have a friend in the orchestra. He's our associate conductor, or excuse me, resident conductor, Jacob Joyce, former violinist who we both went to Tanglewood with actually. Yeah. Um, and he started a podcast and I was like, you know what? Are there any clarinet podcasts? And I looked it up and there is another clarinet podcast, but it, it you know, and this, it's terrific. It's nothing against the, the, the person who's the creator of it. He's great. He gets great guests. He has great content. Um, but the person is not really like an orchestral, he, he doesn't have a job in an orchestra, right? And so I was like, you know what? I know a lot of people. I, I have a lot of connections. I think I have a really unique perspective. I'm at the point in my life where I feel like I can share my perspective without fear of like it harming me professionally. Sure. And so I was like, you know what? Let's just talk to people and and get to the bottom of some of the, let's demystify some things. And so, uh, and the other thing I really enjoy is I enjoy the technical aspects. I love all the gear. I love all the, you know, technology, the cameras and all that. So I, I, I get down with that stuff. So that was another thing that I enjoyed. And um, yeah, so I just, I was like, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's start this podcast. It'll give me something to do and maybe provide uh, some return eventually. And so I started with about three episodes uh, which I released at once. I talked to Jacob and just kind of got the lay of the land. What do? How do you do this? And uh, it's interesting looking back now and listening back to like my first episode. It's just completely different. Um, yeah, yeah. Just the format and and it's sort of evolved over time to just kind of like focusing on different subjects. And I think it's been really effective. And I've uh, you know it's it's been really interesting. And I've gotten some incredible feedback. I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. People just randomly send you an email and they be like. Hey, like, thanks. You, thank you so much for what you do. Like, I listen to this every day, and it, like, I look forward to every time there's a new episode. And like, you get those emails like once every couple months, and you're just like, man, this is worth it, you know? Yeah. Well, for me, one of the most surreal things still to this day is when I have someone that's like, 
yeah, I found out I found out about your podcast not that long ago, but I went back and listened to all of them. You know, yeah. I have like 125 episodes now, and they're like, yeah, I've listened to all of them. That's like surreal. You know how many hours of listening that is, but obviously they connected to something, and that's yeah, it's still surreal that people would <laughs> dig it that much. Yeah, like the 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 one that really hit home for me is um is this guy Michael Wayne. He used to be in Boston. He was the second clarinetist. Now he teaches at Eastman. And uh, he he had a studio class, and and he he asked everyone like what what like pandemic related content have you been watching or whatever, and he said like most of his studio said my podcast, and that to me like just hearing that like you know one of the best schools in the country, all these kids are like listening to, and that's exactly who I wanted to target is like people uh, like that, and and to the, the fact that they're like listening, and he like took the time to text me and say thank you for doing this. You know, coming from someone who I like admired and have admired for so long, to me that just made it all worth it, and it continues to make it worth it, and I I enjoy it um, immensely. There's you know, for a while I put myself on a schedule, and we were talking last night, but it's hard to to do that because then you're sort of like. Uh, you're not doing it when you want to do it. You're doing it when you feel like you need to do it. Sure, sure. And so I, I did that for a while, but it got to be a little bit too much. So now I just make stuff when I want to. When I find a guest that's enticing, when I think of a subject, when I want to make a video, I make a video. When I want to write a post or a blog post, I write a blog post. So it's uh, it's enjoyable and, and people clearly enjoy it. Um, and it's great. And it's opened up some really amazing opportunities for me teaching-wise. Um I'm starting to get some like recognition in the local uh, in Indianapolis. Um, the Arts Council just I just got a grant from the Arts Council for my work on it. So it's it's I saw it was you you've just been posting about this that it was nominated for like a local podcast. Yeah, it was not, I don't even know how this happened, <laughs> but the other day it was nominated for best podcast in Indianapolis. Yeah. Which it wasn't me, and it wasn't my wife who nominated me. Yeah. So I don't know how it got nominated, That's but so cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was just like, all right, this is cool. Like it's it's neat. Um, so we should know. probably say what the name of it is. I forgot to do yeah, that. Candid Clarinetist is the yeah. name of it. You can follow us on Instagram at the Candid Clarinetist, or there's a website candidclarinetistpodcast.com. But you know, and, and it's not just clarinet stuff. I mean, some of it does get into the weeds of that. You know, I'm sure yours does as well. But um, you know, I've I've interviewed. Uh, I interviewed a yoga teacher um, in a couple of weeks. I'm going to interview this this woman. She's a clarinetist, but she has a business where she basically helps people build a private studio, private teaching studio. And like, you know, I interviewed um, Ian Weinberger and Ryan Nelson, who are uh, Ian's the music director of Hamilton on Broadway, and you know, like people like that. So it's not just clarinetists. There's there's something for everybody, and I think that everyone has a unique story to tell and a really a unique perspective. And I think that. It's a, It's just been a really fun project, and I I look forward to kind of see you know where it, where it's going to go in the future. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm curious about is how did you settle on the format that you did? Like, what did you? What kinds of things did you value, and did you want to put forward that helped you settle on like the length of time that you would do it, the way you would do the intro, you know? And because everybody's a little bit different, like you have sort of your format seems to be a little bit of a not a teaser, you do an intro first, you say some things and then you do the teaser and then you get into it and it's, um, they're not short. I mean, I don't think they're like, you know, Joe Rogan long, no. but they're obviously not, Hope not short. So I'm just curious, like when you started it, because that's a really hard thing to do, to decide like, what is this going to be? Like how long, what am I going to say? What am I going to ask? So I'm curious like what you valued and how that turned into the format. Yeah, so it, it changed uh, as I went on. 
but it because initially what I wanted to do was just get to know people. Mm-hmm. So my first like seven to ten episodes were all kind of the same format. It was kind of just like where you know wh- who are you, what do you you know who are you affiliated with, like who are you as a person, you know stuff like that. It was it was different. And and then I started to be okay. Maybe I need to focus this on different subjects. And I can't remember the first person I did this for, but I think it was actually Jacob. I interviewed Jacob, and we talked about like being a conductor. I'm like, what is that? And to me, that was really different than just like you know, who is Jacob? It was like being a conductor. And then I interviewed this woman, um, Callie Laughlin. She has a YouTube channel, a clarinet YouTube channel. And I was like, how do you be a clarinet YouTuber? And so. I just decided to narrow in on these subjects that I felt like I could really target certain things and each of these people would be really specific for that thing. And so for me, that format works better. Um, As far as length of time, they're usually between 45 minutes and an hour. I find that's the sweet spot. If it's a little, if it's too, if it's longer than that, I find it just kind of it's kind of rambling, uh, but that's just me. I mean, it's not. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, I mean, Joe Rogan interviews people for like three and a half hours, and people <laughs> yeah. listen to the whole thing. So yeah. Um, and then I found if it's shorter than that, that that is there's not enough value to it. So yeah, usually about an hour is where I aim for. Um, and it's great. Like all my guests are great, and sometimes I'll I'll get a guest, and I, you know I'm a little apprehensive. I'm just like, uh, do I you know what is it going to be interesting? And it'll blow me away. Yeah, yeah. Completely blow me away. And yeah. then I'll get other guests where I'm like, well, this is going to be a great episode, and it's like a fine episode, but it's yeah. not like amazing. <laughs> so I remember in the early days of doing the podcast, I would be interviewing somebody, and I I sort of knew my episodes were around ninety minutes, right? That seems to be some are longer, some are shorter. And I remember I would like start talking to him, and then I would look, and we'd be like ten minutes in, and I'd be like. Oh my gosh, we have so long to go. And then before I knew it, you know, we were like an hour and 15 minutes into it. We just had like a great conversation. It's a similar thing, sort of suspending what I think it will be or what I want it to be. And just like having a conversation. There's been a lot that have gone in directions that I had no idea it would possibly go. And those are some, you know, often my most favorite ones. And, but that's kind of why I like, that's kind of my format. Essentially, we were talking about this last night. I used to be like, I want to get to know this specific person and it's just open-ended. And now there's a few more sort of guiding signposts, but yeah, I just like the open-endedness of we have no idea what's going to happen. We can, we have a few subjects we can like sort of ground us with, but yeah, for me, that's kind of like the, and that's, I think worth saying too, is that we don't need more podcasts. There's so many out there, but if someone feels that they've really connected with a reason why they feel like that this content should exist, we can always use more people. We were saying that, I was saying that to you yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think that at least. Yeah, and it's interesting too, because I, I mean, I, I basically cut off my podcast at an hour. Like I kind of just, if I have more questions or whatever, I just skip over them if it's if we're pushing the limit. Mm-hmm. But I've had, I mean, I've had guests where like, as soon as we go off, I'll talk to them for another 45 yeah. minutes because we'll just be, uh, it's just fascinating to me. Like the biggest one for me recently was Nathan Hughes. He's the principal oboist of the Met. Mm-hmm. And we talked about being a musician in New York. And the guy is just, I mean, let's talk about, he was speaking so eloquently and just all these incredible insights about what it's like and, you know, I mean, he, he struck me was saying like, you know, being a musician in New York, it feels like a normal thing because you'll like go on the subway and people will walk off with a cello and like, 
you don't see that in any. So it's just like yeah, he yeah. was saying all these things, and I was just like blown away, completely blown away. And so after it was over, I was like interrogating. <laughs> I was just like, oh my, like please keep talking. Like you're really so. You know, it's, it's that happens sometimes. And um, another thing that I really have enjoyed is I've added visual elements to mine. So I, I video record all of mine um, over Skype and I have some like fancy scenes and transitions and stuff too. And I think that's really cool. You can put it on YouTube. It's much more easily accessible on YouTube than it is in podcast format because podcasts are... There was like a joke on Family Guy. I remember it was like, Peter's like, let's start a podcast. It's the perfect business model, you know, Nobody can find you and you don't make any money or something yeah, like that, yeah. which is like <laughs> kind of true. But um, YouTube is the discoverability of YouTube is is immense. And so, you know, I, I interviewed Steve Williamson, who's a principal clarinet of Chicago. And that, you know, just the, the recording that we did has almost a thousand views on YouTube, yeah. you know, which is way more downloads than it has on the podcast forum because people can find it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And so that helped me a lot too. I mean, my, you know, my podcast get twice as many views or listens now because people can find it on YouTube and on, um, you know. Yeah, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about doing, like recording the whole interview and then doing smaller chunks, maybe yeah. two or three chunks that cover like a specific idea. Yeah. And then being like, here's this thing. And if you want to hear the whole thing, um, but it's just the time to do it, you know. And yeah, like we course. talked about, you just sort of like, at some point you reach your maximum yeah. of, I, I've never really had that happen in my life, but you just reach your maximum of like what you can do with the time that you have. Yep. And usually, and this is a weird concept to understand until you're in the middle of it, but adding something means you will have to subtract something else. Yeah. It's and that's hard to find sometimes when you like all the different things that you do. Yeah. And we talked about this last night too, where it's, you know, doing the interview part is the fun part. It's easy. You know, you just have a conversation with somebody and you geek out about what you love. The hard part is getting the guests, writing the outline, making all the social media posts and the thumbnails and going and editing the episode. Like that stuff takes forever. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes a long time and it can be pretty tedious. And there are certain parts that I really like about that. But oftentimes I'm just like, man, can I just keep talking to people? Like that's the yeah. part that I really love. So yeah, I really enjoy things like editing. Yeah. But it's the it's it's the con consistency of it. It's that it just doesn't stop. No, you know, like yep. if it was one episode, you'd just be like, "Oh, I'm gonna do this." But after a while, you're like, "What workflow can I, or what like sort of format can I do that basically removes all the work or <laughs> most of the work?" And that's where we are. I just put out a a, a raw interview, but uh, sure. it's cool that you're. I, I mean, I'm grateful that you're doing the work because I think you know perspectives of people who are in the middle of it, you know, like you talked about a professional musician in the middle of it, wanting to give back a little bit and share their experiences. You have different insights into questions to ask, you know, like, mm -hmm. I think that's so valuable. And I think it's great that we, there's just, there they have people that can have more access, yep. I think. And, and so is that something also that you have valued? I mean, you sort of spoke to it earlier, so maybe it's a similar answer, but do you feel like that's something you valued as well? Is just the desire to be able to have people to have a little bit of access and a look into what it is to be a professional musician and stuff like that? Yeah, well, look, I mean, you know, even this is, everything I do is something that I wish that I had when I was a student. Everything I do is based on that. It's like, man, I wish I had a YouTube video to watch that showed me the difference between this model of clarinet and this model of clarinet. I wish I had that. And so that's what I'm trying to give people. And I feel like um, the other thing I'm trying to give people, especially with the podcast, is like, say you want to study with a teacher. 
you fly out, you take an hour long lesson with them, and you leave. That's all. That's all you get. And when you're there, all it is about your playing. It's about your playing. It's about your playing. So if someone wants to take a lesson with Jonathan Gunn, I also want them to learn who Jonathan Gunn is and how he is as a person. And sure. he's an incredibly honest and amazing guy who has a wealth of experience and he doesn't sugarcoat things. He tells his experiences honestly. And you're not going to get that in a lesson, but somebody can have a lesson with Jonathan Gunn, have an incredible lesson, be like, wow, I really want to study with him. But then they can go listen to the podcast and be like, wow, this guy is amazing. Like yeah. what a great person to have as a mentor and a teacher. And so like, that's the other thing that I wanted to accomplish is I just wanted to, to make it so that these people are not just clarinetists or musicians or like idols or whatever you want to say they are. I mean, you know, oftentimes classical musicians and teachers and stuff are put on a pedestal. And it's just because that's, there's no other access to them. So I wanted to provide more access to these people because most of them are just amazing people. And it's, something that you wouldn't learn in an hour lesson or a brief email exchange with them. Yeah. So Barbara Butler's episode that I did is, mm -hmm. to me, it's very emblematic of that. And what I wanted to do is just, Barbara's this like enigma because there's not that much out there, you know? And we obviously know about her success in, in helping people um, win jobs and be successful in their careers. But I know her a little bit as a person. And so to be able to provide this like almost three hour interview where people can just get to know like what she thinks about various things. And for people who have no access to her whatsoever, they get to hear a lot of the amazing things that she thinks. I totally agree with you. Like those are things that anybody can be inspired by. And so having the opportunity to at least just hear what these people have to say, uh, I think is a really cool thing to be able to provide as well. I totally agree. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what I want to do. And, you know, the other thing is a lot of times you don't have access to these people you know, I have access to them because I've played with a lot of them and they know yeah, me right. and I know them. But, you know, freshman year Northwestern Sam wouldn't have access to them. Right. They wouldn't know who I was or care. And so I'd like to provide access like that and be like, hey, you know, like Steve Williamson's a great guy, you know, <laughs> like most people know him because they watch his watch performances of his, but they don't they're not able to go and talk to him. So, you know, welcome in. Yeah, here, here he is. He's a great guy. So the, everything about the podcast, you know, we can present it. And when we talk about it, it sounds really awesome. Uh, but what are some of the hard parts for you? We talked about your sort of shift from trying to do weekly to when you feel sort of like you've got something to say or you've you know found a great guest. Uh, what are some other things that were sort of uh, a struggle or hard for you to um, sort of figure out, if you want to put it that way, when you first started doing it? The hardest thing has been just you, you run into walls. Um, where it's like, is it worth it for me to keep up the effort of this? Because, you know, people think they're going to start a podcast and immediately get thousands and thousands of downloads and get all these sponsorships and yada, yada, yada. And it's just not, it just doesn't happen. You know, unless you're like a celebrity who already has a huge following, fine, maybe that'll happen for you. But, you know, as me, that's not going to happen. And so you hit these walls where you're like, man, I thought I just made a great episode or a great YouTube video and it just flops, like nothing happens. And, and you're just like, damn, like, yeah. <laughs> is it worth it? But it's kind of like what we were talking about with the audition thing is like, as long as you believe in the content that you're making, you can learn something, um, even if it flops. And so I think that's been the challenge um, is just even when you're not getting the endorphin rush of getting likes or views or downloads or whatever, 
just continuing to believe in whatever you're doing and, uh, you know, just trying to stay as consistent as you can with it. I think that's that to me is the biggest challenge. Um, and it's a labor of love for me. Like, yeah. I, I love it. I love what I've created. It's the first thing that I've ever done that's truly mine. You know, no one else can take credit for it. Like, I came up with the concept. I built the infrastructure. I made the freaking website. I made all the animations on my videos. Like, I made all that stuff. That is mine. You know, nobody else did that. And so that's the first thing that's truly ever been mine. And so to me, that means a lot. You yeah. Know? For me, one of the hard parts, I really enjoy talking to people, <laughs> but interviewing people is a whole, whole nother thing, you know? Um, that was one of the challenges at first was, was wanting it to be conversational, but recognizing that like it can't just be a conversation. Like we have to learn how to guide things because not everybody's super comfortable. And and so I, um, it's interesting to me because one of the things that it's done, I don't know, this is kind of, I'm headed to a point here and I'm curious if you find the same. It's like affected the way I meet people, you know, because I've developed like these interview skills on the podcast. So when I meet people, sometimes I just imagine I'm interviewing them for my podcast. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm asking questions about like, where are you from? And following lines of things. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Tell me more about that. But like before I had the podcast, I really struggled with things like small talk, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, everything you just said, I, like... You know, I started this during the pandemic where I didn't go out and meet anyone. And then like I started going back to my gym and all of a sudden I noticed I can talk to people. Yeah. I'm very introverted. I mean, I'm very, very introverted. I usually just talk to the people I know and then just keep quiet. But now I can talk to anybody and do it well. And I was never able to do that before. And it's really cool. Yeah. You know, that just yeah. comes out of you know, so that's something that I've gained from it for sure. Yeah. But but yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. And so I this is sort of something I've been coming to recently is, you know, we, I have in the past justified processes by the result that I want to have come out of it. What I mean by that is I will justify all this work I do on my instrument to win an audition. The Like wanting to win the audition justifies the work, right? But now I feel like my perspective has changed a lot on this after having done, learned about podcasting and video production and, you know, like how to create like a sort of a platform, if you want to call it that. To me now, the value is like what I will learn and the result of what happens from it is almost a, a side effect now. Like I'm the, basically what justifies my work is... I've learned, I've seen so many ways that something I did over here, I started a podcast, benefited me in some very unexpected way. You know, the video production stuff, now I'm making some sort of interview style videos for our orchestra to help our community connect with our musicians. That's a completely unforeseen yep. thing that I could help out with. And so that's a perspective I, I try to share as much as I can now. I don't really fully understand how to share it effectively yet, but just the idea that things don't have to have some sort of external result to be valuable for us to invest our time in. Sometimes just what you learn from it is, is more than enough sort of validation or worth to justify why you would do it. And it kind of seems like you uh, uh, maybe share some of that perspective as well. Well, for me too, it's, it's all about you got to love the process and you have to enjoy the process because if, if you're purely results-based you're not going to have a good time. Yeah. 
because if you <laughs> don't get the bad time. Yeah, if you don't get the results that you want then you're you just you've spent all this time i mean it's just so for me like practicing practicing is not an end game for me because we we're in a, such a weird profession where like we four plus four never equals eight it's we're never gonna be perfection mm-hmm. it is unachievable in our profession and so you have to enjoy the uh the process of getting as close as you can every day and inching closer. And some days you fall back a little bit and that's okay. And then you have to inch closer again. And it's, I, I watched this documentary, um, it came out a while ago, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Have you seen Jiro? I feel like I've seen oh, it. Oh, dude, you love I didn't watch it, but I saw it. Is you'd it on love it. Oh my God. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. So basically this guy has just spent his entire life every day trying to get a little bit better at making sushi. <laughs> That's amazing. And and it's so applicable to what we do. Yeah. And so for me, it's for him, it's all about the process, right? It's all about, man, maybe if I just cut the fish just slightly differently, then it'll be just it'll just taste that much better. Wow. Wow. You know? And so yeah. for me, I love that stuff. Like it's it's not about like, okay, I'm gonna give a great performance and you know, people are gonna pay me money to, it's not about that. It's about like I love watching myself get better at playing clarinet. And I take a lot of pleasure in that. And I take a lot of pleasure in in the breakthroughs that I have. And um you have to love that. Yeah. It's the same thing with the audition process. It's like you have to love the meticulousness of trying to get just a little bit better every day. Otherwise it's, you know. Well, and one thing I think that's super important that you've already talked about is to be able to see yourself getting better. You've been, you've basically, it sounds like defined some parameters of like what it is you're trying to achieve, right? So then you know if you're moving closer to that or not. And I think a lot of people practice, not, I don't, I don't want to say going through the motions. I don't want to say banging their head up against the wall because I, I don't like this sort of, I don't like to negatively put it because I think a lot of people care. But I think they haven't necessarily defined exactly in terms of like adjectives or whatever, what it is they're seeking and searching for. So we don't really know if we're actually moving in the direction we want to move in. So like you have that ability to do that. It seems like because you've just, you have such a clear idea through the processes that you've done and through, of course, like the job that you're doing, there's like a clearer idea of what success would look like. And that's something I hope people take away from this, from hearing you speak as well is your ability to take pleasure in seeing yourself get better is like sort of a result of the process that you've been applying over time and it's helped you see that at least it sounds that way to me yeah um another another interesting perspective i'm curious for your thoughts on see if you have any sort of way to expand upon it there's a power lifter i've talked about from time to time called ed cohen he's like arguably the greatest power lifter of all time and i saw this sort of q a um, seminar type thing and he was saying you know not enough people realize that it's not about where you start it's about where you end and so we're a lot of us are so caught up in like well right now what's happening right now that we forget if we apply a great process, we could end in a pretty amazing spot way above where we ever could, but we need that process. Mm-hmm. We need to be focusing on that instead of like, well, I'm not as good as I want to be right now. And so everything is horrible. It's like, if you're not as adept as you want to be right now, but you have a process you believe in, it's like, you feel like if I just keep applying it, I might end up in a good spot. I'm curious, do you agree with this perspective? Do you have any ways to expand upon it? Just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, you talk about lifting, like, obviously, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not you, like, I can't, <laughs> you know, like, 
for example, just to put this in perspective, tell everyone how weak I am. I've deadlifted 300 pounds, one rep max once. One time in my life, I hit 300 pounds. Yeah. Before that, my one rep max was like 275. I was never able to pull anything else off the ground. But there was one day where I hit that 300 pounds. I will probably never deadlift 300 pounds again in my life. I've just kind of realized like my athletic peak, which isn't a very high peak, has kind of passed me. But I still go to the gym and I still work out and I still do these complex lifts and stuff because I love the process. Sure. And so like for me, even just like doing a workout with a bunch of deadlifts in it, if my back doesn't hurt and I did the deadlifts correctly and I felt it in the hamstrings and the glutes and whatever, that's a win because that means I improved just a little bit and I made it through the workout successfully. Like that is a win for me. So it's not about the the end result and yeah. and just and you know and then maybe someday I will deadlift more than three hundred pounds again, but I'm not going to get there unless I if it's all about the three hundred pounds I'm never going to get there. Yeah, you know. But the only way that would be true is if you said I have a goal to deadlift three fifteen or whatever, and I'm going to orient many things in my life to yeah. do that. Right, I'm going to change my training, I might change my diet or things like that, my recovery. If you want to prioritize that, but you know, you and I are in similar positions where that's probably not the thing you can prioritize over other things in your life. So you just find a way to make it fit in. Mm -hmm. And then you all you have is the process, right? Yeah, exactly. Because you can't, you're not going to like necessarily be able to prioritize for that particular goal without sacrificing maybe your playing or some of the time for the podcast, those types of things. Yeah. And I man, I just, I love this perspective. And one thing I want to try to point out is that I really believe that the success you've experienced in uh, and auditions and in your career, I really think it's a result of that perspective. It's not some magical, no. like you're just really good and you're so much different and all that kind of stuff. It's just a result of that kind of perspective of being process-based. And maybe there are people out there who have not experienced the same kind of success you have, or they don't have the same kind of skill developed that you do. But that doesn't mean that they can't have that same mindset that would start them on that path of doing it. So I really appreciate you being willing to just sort of like put that out there as like this is what does that this is what determined that success. Cause I think it's so important for myself to hear it and hopefully for my audience to sort of really consider what that might mean for themselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm the ultimate average Joe. Like I have no I'm not, you know, gifted in anything really, except for my work ethic. But I, that was a, that's a choice that everyone has to make. Yeah. So, you know, for example, going to Northwestern, there were seven clarinet students in my freshman class. I was probably the fifth or sixth best one, you know, just pure skill level at the time we entered school. But I'm the only one with a full-time orchestra job out of all, I don't, I'm not sure if any of them play clarinet anymore, you know, yeah. um, at least not full-time. Maybe they do. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not, that's not the point. It's the point is like I chose to like go, th th you know, to do it. I, I chose to, I made the active choice. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to do it. And anybody can make that choice. Yeah. Anybody. And just keep learning, keep growing. Yeah. You know, it's, you didn't have it all figured out at that point. No. But you just I still don't catch. I, yeah. You know, there's still things that, that I, and I, and I always, I try to make a lot of observations. You know, I, you can always learn something from anybody. Like David Bellman, for example, just I mean, the guy to the day he retired, show up 45 minutes early for rehearsal and just start practicing. Uh, every day. Every day he was the first person there. Like that to me, I was like, man, if this guy can do it after 40 years, 39, I always say 40 years, 39, 39 yeah. years, <laughs> like 
I I can do that. Yeah. And so every day I came, I I I tried to match him. I tried to show up, and we were always the clarinet section was always the first section there because we were just like, you know, this is the process. And this is what I need to do. You can always learn something from people. Yeah. No, I think it's a great perspective. I appreciate it. Um, I guess I suppose to close it out. Um, are there any, do you have sort of any final words that you maybe haven't said that you think are important? And if you don't and you want to rather answer and sort of just share, I mean, I've had a fair amount of like dark spots in my life that I feel like getting through it has given me good perspectives. You know, I've spoken about my time in Indianapolis, you know, like that was a dark period of time for me. Uh, I'm just curious, like I said, if you have any final thoughts, we can go that direction. Or if it doesn't have, you don't have to necessarily say what the dark thing was, but just like, we, it, I think it's just helpful for people to be able to connect like this perspective that sometimes it also comes from times of struggle, you know, yeah. or if there's other perspectives you hold. So I just kind of want to open it up, see where you go with that based on any of those and kind of see where it goes. Sure. Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> as, as much time as you want. Yeah. But I figured. <laughs> just, yeah. So I mean, as far as struggles, I think my biggest struggle that I've ever had um, is th is that I can't shut off the criticism. Um, you were talking about the process. I mean, I'm a, I don't want to say I'm obsessed with the process, but I love it so much that it's it's driven. It's been detrimental a lot of the times. So uh, I have this weird ability uh, that I have to that I've had to cultivate where I beat myself up so much when I practice because I just uh, so desperately want to get better at something that sometimes I get to a point where I start to believe it, you know, and it in the final result suffers. And that has really been a huge struggle all throughout my life. Um, and it's you, you have to have this muscle where you can be objective and critical, but then you have to change the mindset and be like, I'm the man, you know, like I'm really good at what I do. And the bottom line is I'm better at what I do than 99.8% of people that do what I do. It's just true, yeah, yeah. but I never view it that way. Like yeah. I, I can never just step back and see it that way. Like my wife tells me all the time, like you're amazing and you're so talented. If I was as talented as you, I was do this. I never see myself as that. Sure. And that has really driven a lot of problems in my life. Um, you know, I've, I've been, I've struggled with depression my entire life. Um, I've, you know, I'm currently medicated for it. I have, I have been at various points in my life. Um, and uh, it's tough. It's a tough profession. It really is. It beats you down, um, you know, because what makes you great at it is also what can destroy you. Absolutely. And it's a tough balance to strike, you know, and I'm sitting here telling everyone you have to love the process stuff. Like sometimes I hate it. I hate it. I hate what it does to me Yeah. because I so desperately want to do well at it that sometimes even when I'm doing well, I don't think I'm doing well. Yeah. No, we have such a high standard, you know, oh, to, to be able to function at this level um, and to do it. I, I think part of what this is, is also to have done it quickly. You know what I mean? I think I really have the belief that, you know, if if we were willing to wait like 20 years, you could do it sort of in a healthy and a sustainable yes, way. Yeah, exactly. But to, to be high functioning and to say, I want this as quickly as I possibly can get it. You know, for me, it's a similar thing. There were a lot of sacrifices I made for on me yeah. i'm sort of i believe myself to be a, a cautionary tale of what it can look like to 
like hyper focus and and put this one thing on a pedestal and sort of serve it as the only thing that matters. And so I, I agree with you. And it's just it's a tough profession for yeah. sure. And I think there are ways that and you've you've spoken about them. There are ways that we can have balance. And I think I would imagine some of the other things you do, like the podcast and the content creation and the streaming and like, you know, like your family and stuff like that, right? Like these probably things help broaden your perspective and help you disassociate maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, and and you know, just to I mean, talk about obsession, like for every day, when I left that show, uh, when I left my tour, every day I woke up in the morning with the sole goal of everything that I do that day has to get me closer to winning an audition. Yeah, and it's, that's, that's all I thought about. Every decision was driven by that Yeah, for three or four years. Yeah, that's rough. It beats you up yeah. badly. And a lot of your personal relationships get sacrificed. And I'm fortunate now that I'm in a position, you know, I'm tenured and, and you know, I have a family, but I really make sure that I have stuff outside the orchestra. Like I have a ton of, I have a new, my wife always makes fun. I have a new hobby every week, you know, <laughs> just cause it's, it's something that, that's, that I can do. I can do what I do with music and, you know, like I always have to get really good at something like that. That is that is what I love about new hobbies, like get really, really good at something fast. And so it's healthy for me to, to do that away from music because I don't care about that other stuff. Yeah. You know, I just, I like getting good at stuff. I just, I don't need, and, but I don't need to be good at it. With music, I kind of need to be good, but with, with the other stuff, I don't need to be good. So I can, I can focus that energy elsewhere and that helps me a lot too. Yeah, yeah. And just gives me a lot more um, balance I'd say. Um, and then it helps my playing in turn because I have more of a release than I did before. Sure. Because like that, I don't wake up every day being like, how can I make sure I'm better at clarinet? I'm just like, okay, well, I don't feel like practicing today, so I'm not going to. <laughs> so then for me, the tough question to answer, and I don't know if I have a great answer at this, is do you think that when you were, when you were talking about how for three or four years it was every, do you think that if you took the perspective you have now, and imprinted it on that version of Sam, you would have been successful to the degree you are now. Do you no. think you could? So, like, do you think it was necessary that you did that? I do, I do, because yeah. you have to, because it's you have to have that resiliency and that and that hunger. Um, and maybe I'm wrong, you know. I mean, I, so to play devil's advocate, do you feel that like if you knew things about practicing in terms of efficiency or whatever that you knew now that you could have spent less time getting the same result, giving you more to, do you think that's possible? Or do you, I mean, I don't think there's a right answer. Yeah, but, no, I don't know. Yeah, uh, is yeah. The, yeah, it's really the answer. But I mean, it's definitely, you know, I certainly could have been more efficient with my time. Yeah. Absolutely. But at the same time, I also like need the reps, you know, you yeah, just, sometimes you just need the repetition. And, and like now I just, I have all this, knowledge and experience basically and that and i know all these things that i didn't know back then and so i think back then i needed to kind of just get through those experiences to get me yeah. to there and and if i was also you know just i could just just give a cautionary tale i mean you know i left this job with lemas i spent all my hours my senior year in northwestern trying to get an orchestra job just that's all i was focused on i also auditioned for grad school just so everyone knows I got into zero grad schools. Mm. I auditioned in three places and I didn't get in anywhere. And now I'm here. So yeah, yeah. if we're talking about like, you know, don't give up. There will be fa failures along the way. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm here. I didn't get into any grad schools. Yeah. So 
anyone can do that. Yeah, no, that's good. I appreciate it. I didn't know. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of this I didn't know. Obviously, it's kind of been it's been fun to do this for me because I feel like I've peripherally known you because yeah. we went to school and obviously we hung out with the same kind of people. So to actually have the chance to sit down and yeah. ask you questions and get to know you because we're in the same place for you know more than a few seconds, but. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I mean, you mentioned the the candy clarinetist stuff. Mm -hmm. Are there other places that people can find you if they kind of want to reach out and get in touch with you? Um, that's the. I mean, I'm on. Yeah, the, the, that's usually the easiest way. I have a contact form on my website, on my website candidclarinetistpodcast.com, uh, Instagram at the candid clarinetist. You can also just friend me on Facebook or whatever. I'm, sure. I, I'm usually not too picky with my friends. Yeah, and I, so obviously there's the podcast itself, but I know you were mentioning something about. I think you've been talking about doing like audition coaching and stuff. Is yeah, that a, that's. A thing you were yeah so that's all kind of part of the podcast brand is there's different tabs on my website for lessons or audition coaching or whatever um and if yeah if you want to get in touch and talk more about that i'm I'm happy to do so yeah um but yeah and you can also find me uh, at my my youtube channel uh the candid clarinetist sure so so uh yeah i mean if you've connected or resonated with some of the stuff that sam has said which i can't imagine how people wouldn't have uh, reach out and let them know that you enjoyed the episode. And if you want to you know, work with them in any capacity, those are there as well. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do so at that'snotspit.com or that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a rating and a review on iTunes. And I would really appreciate it if you would share it on social media so other people could find the episode as well. One more time, Sam, thank you so much for giving me your time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. And I will need to have you on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it again. We'll, we'll run it back. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering and editing and mixing this episode of the podcast. He's got his work cut out for him. Uh, and most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.